On November 28, 2012, a woman is seen acting very erratic in front of the Empress Hotel in Victoria, British Columbia. An acquaintance runs into her and after questioning her, calls the police for help. The police detain her and question her and then release her. But she is never seen again. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruise Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Emma Philippoff. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement. Somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's a little gloomy it's, today. It is, but it's very good to be back. We missed, we missed a week or two for hunting and vacations and all that, but man, am I, am I glad we're back. I feel recharged. Yes. Some focus. We've yeah, been going indeed. strong since we started, man. We never took a week off. No, we didn't. And this was the first time we did, and people were pissed, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine, which is amazing, actually, that people are upset that we didn't put out an episode. I can't believe that. So, well, we're back, guys. So we're back. This one might be a little rough around the edges because we are going to rush it out. We're recording this on a Sunday. And hopefully it drops on Tuesday. Yeah, we recorded it the Sunday the 29th, and we plan on dropping it. December the 1st. Yeah, December 1st, so that's going to be not a lot of time to edit, so it is what it is. And you get what you get, and don't <laughs> pitch a fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a great Thanksgiving. I don't know about you. But... I did, too. You know, I, my in-laws are up in age, and so they were a little worried about the COVID, and finally decided that family came over covid but we we had a great thanksgiving and did you wear your mask hell no we sat outside oh my god you and your damn it's just a conspiracy i don't think it's a conspiracy i just don't think that i have to wear a mask in somebody else's <laughs> home <laughs> or my car if i'm in it by myself okay now those people are stupid <laughs> okay at least if, we agree on if that. It, unless they listen to the podcast then then keep, you wear your mask. Keep doing what you're doing. Anyway, we got a five-star review, my friend. Yeah. My favorite part. We got one from Ya yeah Boy, which is my uh, my new favorite name. Every five-star review. They, Becomes that, that week's favorite. They actually, they actually have me my favorite name. I don't know. It's a, such a coincidence. But he says, big fan of the podcast. Just some guys being dudes, cracking some cold ones, and getting into and getting into it. My first listen was the Jason Dalton Uber shooter, as I am from Kalamazoo and went to school with his son and was even in the same dog training class as him with his black German shepherd. They nailed everything on the head, and I always love the Michigan cases. The Melon Heads is another one of my favorites. You guys keep doing what you're doing, and I'll keep listening. Deuces. Now... That's crazy that he actually fucking knew the guy. That's that's wild. Yeah, it is crazy. And second of all, no, you can't like the Melonhead episode because you wasn't there. Because I wasn't on it, <laughs> so you can't let like this just it just can't you can't let. I was I was in COVID quarantine and I just I just don't think he had the same panache. 
It didn't, but <laughs> people did appreciate it. <laughs> Better than nothing, right? That's right. But we appreciate you, sir, and uh, yeah, keep keep trucking along in Michigan. We got us uh, two new um, totally drilled called, they're patrons. Called, they're called patrons. Yes, Patreon patrons. From Patreon. Speaking of which, if if anyone from Patreon is out there listening, please update your app because it is so not user friendly. Yeah, it is not. We are in the process of doing something very nice for the patrons themselves. And we're probably going, I'm thinking about doing just an episode just for them. And we're going to send you a random gift for Christmas. We still, we're still on the hunt for a good deal for make some uh, the Mysterious Brews glasses. And once we get those made, you'll be getting one of those for free as well. But. Once Christmas time rolls around, we're just going to send you something. We're sending you something just to say thank you because we do appreciate you. And our two new ones are Miss Julia Clifton and Peace Cat. Miss Clifton is from the great state of Georgia, just up the road from where we happen to call home. I'm actually a big fan of Georgia. It's a good state. And Miss Peace Cat is from the great state of California. They do. Or they do. she's from Ontario, Canada. I they, think she's from Ontario. I'm sorry. She's know, not from California. They do. She know is how from to Ontario, California. I mean, Ontario, <laughs> California. She's from Ontario, Canada. Bro, every time you talk, I can tell why we have such a big group of listeners because you are just a masterful. I kill the Queen's English. <laughs> you are a wizard when it comes to words, my friend. Like, I'm a cunning linguist. <laughs> I thought that was me. I thought you were the fisherman. Oh, I'm sorry. Who was really good at, you know, baiting yeah. hooks. And you're the cunning <laughs> Okay, so let's get this back on track somehow. It's off the rails early. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here, man. I've missed you, bro. And that's that's just how sad my life is. <laughs> he loves me. I, I do. I'm quite fond of you. All right, so uh, what are we drinking there, Slap Nut? We're drinking some good old-fashioned Molson Golden. Because you can't go wrong with Molson Golden. Well, I mean, we're doing a Canada case, and, you know, Canadian beers like moonshine. <laughs> You've seen Big Daddy. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> like, so, and plus, I, I just, I didn't feel like trying to go fancy. I just felt, I saw it in the store, and I said, you know what? I haven't had Molson Golden in a long time, so... It is a, a lot tastier than our other other country beer of Foster's Oil Cans. I swear to God, dude, if you put those good people down again. They are a penal colony. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did get some. I'm trying to stay mature because this is a mature subject matter podcast. But when you say the word penal, I'm going to giggle. I'm going to giggle. Yeah. We have had a lot of. Emails come our way for case suggestions. I have been doing my due diligence and making my own list. I am going to become the listener case recommendation guy because I'm just not very... There's just a couple of cases I, out there that I want to do, and they have nothing to do with true crime. So we're going to throw those in every once in a while, but we have some great recommendations, and we will have those coming in the upcoming weeks. Well... What what I've noticed is, and I'm sure the listeners have too, is that we've been doing a lot of missing persons, mis, mis, mysterious deaths type cases. 
And but man, they're just so interesting. But we are going to get back to our roots to go into more Mr. Mayhem, really. Mystery well, and mayhem. Well, you know, just, you know, a little more paranormal. Yeah. I still am advocating for the episode on the devil. We've been planning that for about six months now. We ain't done it. We yet. just keep pushing it back. Keep pushing it back. But today's a missing person. And then next week's a missing person. But I had to put it in there, even though this was your choice. My choice is going to be a missing person for next week because, good God, it's probably the strangest one I've ever heard in my life. It is extremely and odd. And I, I, I never heard of it. The A, the fact that I never heard of it, and B, the fact Unsolved Mysteries didn't cover it. I don't know. So get ready for a really strange one next week, but not to take anything away from this one. But this one does come from Victoria, British Columbia. I have actually been there. It is a beautiful city. Beautiful city. And Miss Emma Filipoff arrived in Victoria in the fall of 2011, and she is originally from Perth, Ontario. And to give our U.S. listeners a sense of how far apart those two cities are, imagine traveling from upstate New York to Seattle. That's a good distance. Yeah. I mean, it'll take you a little bit. Why couldn't you just say go from the East Coast to the West Coast? Because it's not really the East Coast. It, it kind of is. Well, upstate New York's not got any uh, oceanfront property. It. <laughs> it's still an Eastern. <laughs> <clears throat> go ahead, sir. I almost busted out George Strait. <laughs> but I what contained George, myself. What George Strait was you going to bust out? Some oceanfront property. In Arizona? Yeah. Well, I mean, you keep keep waiting. Keep waiting. It's going to happen. All right. So she had a brief employment at the Redfish Bluefish Seafood Restaurant in Victoria's Inner Harbor. And there was a great documentary done by the Canadian broadcast company Fifth Element. And That's a great you, movie. If you have not seen the episode for Philippoff, I highly recommend it. They do a wonderful job. And... They state in the documentary that she had always felt like she was drawn to the ocean. And she was very nomadic, I guess is what you could say, after she turned 18. And not really a hippie lifestyle, but she was, she just, she had no ties. She, her parents went through a divorce and she wound up taking on a lot of the guilt from both her father and her mother. Um, her father had stepped out on her mother with a younger lady and it kind of destroyed her mother. And so she felt she took on that, you know, sadness, I think, from her mom. And then she also took on the sadness from her dad when when that didn't work out. But anyway, Emma would work seasonally and she would leave her job at the seafood restaurant on October 31st, 2012. She assured coworkers that she would be back in the spring and it was not unheard of for her to just kind of float between job to job. Okay. This is where I'm going to stop you because I've got a completely just 1000% off topic thing, but I just realized that we're dealing with Canadians here. And so if we do have any listeners from Canada and you want to contact me, let's talk about how great the show corner gas is. If you've ever heard of this show, it is the funniest freaking show of all time, and I love it. 
<laughs> I don't know why. Just I, but I'm not. I wasn't going to stop from saying it. I was like, I'm sitting in here in my brain. I'm like, I couldn't think anything else about the case. I was like, man, how funny's corner gas. So if you like the show, reach out to the coach <laughs> on Twitter. Reach out to us. Let's talk about it. I love that damn thing. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Let's talk about true crime. All right. So the investigators state that in preparation to move back to Ontario. Uh, Emma hired a tow truck on November 21st, and she rented the truck in order to move her Mazda van from Sook to Chateau Victoria p- parking garage. I mean, why didn't she just drive it herself? It well, kinda... and it, it, depending on your research, I don't think it never says that the, the van is inoperable, but basically she lived out of it. And it was parked at a women's shelter where she would live a lot, and then she would move it two different parking spots i think to keep from having it towed but it's kind of that it's one of the otter things in this case like an otter otter like lay on its back and use rocks to crack open clams man how, how does otters get involved in crimes like this so unbeknownst <laughs> to philipoff's family and her mother's even on record in the fifth element episode stating they had no idea that she had stayed they Dallas multipass. at Sandy Merriman House Women's Shelter since February. And when she would call and talk to her mom, it would just come up on caller ID as Sandy Merriman. So mom thought that that was the name of a roommate or it was the name of someone that she was staying with at the time. On November 23rd, Philippoff was captured on security footage at the Victoria YMCA, entering, then leaving, then entering multiple times and leaving. I think it's a total of six times she enters and leaves, and she's kind of peering out the window. Let's just call what she's doing extremely suspicious behavior. And it would lead someone to believe, like the novice, just looking at the footage, you're going to think she's waiting for someone outside to leave. Like she's noticed them. She sees that they're there and she does not want any part of it. So she keeps coming back inside. She keeps waiting. She keeps looking. She keeps waiting. She keeps looking. Yeah. I mean, and, six different times. This takes quite a while of video footage and we'll post a link to that. And then also it is covered on the, uh, fifth element episode. So in the days preceding her disappearance, uh, Philipoff had phoned her mother in Ontario asking if she could come home. And each time her tone would quickly change and Emma would then ask her mom not to come. And then on the final call, her mother became aware that Emma had been staying at a women's shelter. And even though Emma had asked her not to come, her mom made plans to fly out to Victoria immediately. Well, when you find out that your daughter is staying in a women's shelter... You're going to tend to panic. You're going to think that something's deathly wrong. You think your daughter's homeless. But in fact, she has enough money. Yeah, she had just under $3,000, I think, in a bank account. Yeah, I mean, and she's working. And she had a, a bank card, so yeah. she had access to her money. Yeah, so she she was choosing to stay at this women's shelter. She didn't have to. No, and the, and the women's shelter's very hush-hush on her comings and goings and they cite privacy well yeah i mean that's that's not that's not an abnormal thing and there's a little bit of friction between the mom and the women's shelter because the mom feels like they could have 
eased her concerns just by saying, hey, yes, she stayed here. No, she wasn't battered. She wasn't, you know, she didn't have a boyfriend she was hiding from. She seemed in good spirits, but they just kind of tight-lipped and wouldn't tell mom anything. Now, granted, Emma's an adult, and she does have that right to privacy. So yeah, you can do whatever you want when you're an adult. Yeah, it's awesome. You can eat cake for dinner. I know, cause I've, I've done, done it. <laughs> and if there's no one else there, in the words of Rodney Carrington, who's to stop you from eating the whole damn cake? So we get to November the twenty eighth, and early on the twenty eighth, Philip. We didn't know this. Again, when we do pick these cases, we don't plan things. We just pick a case. It's November 29th. She disappeared November 28th. That's insane. We, like this is dumb luck. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Well, it's not not dumb luck. We yeah, gotta. We're pretty stupid. No, we have to count it like towards the cosmos it or just fell fate. in our lap. No, it's more than that. It's it's fate. Mystic powers. Yeah, mystic powers that we... Led us to this case. (laughs) ...to choose eight years and one day since she's been been gone. So she's captured on a 7-Eleven store video on Government Street purchasing a prepaid cell phone and a prepaid credit card for $200. So yeah, here's the thing you got to understand is about about this woman and her privacy is she she doesn't own a cell phone at all. No, and that... in 2011, 2012, for someone her age not to own a cell phone, it's it's, it's, it's odd. It's, it's not unheard of. It's just odd. So it's less common than, you know, it's just not common. Yeah. <laughs> so on the Boy, video, well, you're killing a, it, aren't I'm you? I'm a wizard with words today, too. <laughs> so on the video at the 7-Eleven store... The same type of behavior that was seen at the YMCA is seen at the store. She kind of mills around around the, the cashier. She checks the door. She she enters. She exits. She she keeps looking at the window, and then finally she leaves. It's pretty clear that that at least to her, there's something or someone that she's trying to avoid. She is avoiding something. something. Yes, and it would come to light that she had left the Sandy Merriman house around six p.m. on the twenty-eighth. Soon after exiting the Seven Eleven, she flagged down a taxi and asked to be taken to the Victoria International Airport. However, she would not make it very far because the taxi driver told her that that would be sixty dollars, and she stated that she did not have the money for the cab. And so he is going to let her off. But when he stops, she states to him, do you mind if I sit here? Now, keep in mind, it is the end of November in Canada. And I think the temperature was around freezing. And so he he doesn't find it odd. I don't think it gets below 40 in Canada ever. He finds it a little odd, but he thinks to himself, well, maybe she's just trying to warm up before she gets out and then starts walking. But here's the thing is people are going to point out to the, the fact that, well, she just got the $200 prepaid credit card. She had, and, and she had money in the bank. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe they... What I'm trying to say is, is that 
people will be like, well, how odd that is that she didn't have the money to pay for the, for the, for the cab. But we don't know whether or not the cab accepted credit cards at that time. True. So that could have been a legit reason to drop her off because she did not have the cash. But if, for whatever reason, if, if at that time th- that those cabs took credit cards, that is extremely odd that she just, I don't have the money because she does. Yeah. Now, True Crime Garage <laughs> did two episodes on Emma, and that's Man, episode stop, 52 and 53. Stop plugging these guys. And they're, they, they're doing just fine. Yeah, they are doing well. <laughs> they're the number one podcast in the world. <laughs> and they pointed out that her and her father were planning a trip. This trip may have kept her from spending the money, even though she had it because she was trying to save. And she kind of surmised that she knew her mom was coming and maybe, you know, subconsciously she's thinking if she does go home, then maybe mom will pay for her back. And so the $60 just wasn't feasible at the time, which is possible. So after exiting the cab, Philippoff was seen walking barefoot in front of the Empress Hotel. And a man named Dennis Quay, who she had met at a local library, approached her and asked her if everything was okay. And he said she seemed disheveled. Mm-hmm. And to the point where he just got an odd feeling that she wasn't okay, even though she reassured him she was. Now, this is just the acquaintance. That yes, she's, she, they're just an acquaintance. And met maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Dennis Quay stated that he talked to her and then ducked into a restaurant and called 911, saying that there was a woman outside the restaurant in severe distress. So Victoria police arrive. They take Philippoff's name and spend about 45 minutes speaking with her. And she assures them that she's okay. She doesn't have suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts. She's all right, even though she is barefoot holding her shoes. Now, after speaking with her, they decide that she was not a threat to herself or anyone else, and they released her. So, And, and like, and what's going to happen after... People are going to be extremely critical of the cops and why they did this. But at the same time, I mean, what are you supposed to do if the person you're encountering? She seemed coherent. Seemed coherent. She answered the, the questions without yeah. problem. They, she didn't give them any red flags to Yeah, exactly. Detain I mean, you can, you can sit here and, of course, you know, I mean, if you know us, you know, we're going to criticize the hell out of some police officers if we have to. But. If the lady's coherent, if she does not seem to be a danger, you, there's nothing they can do. They can't just, oh, well, you know, old dude said you're acting strange. Let's let's take you in for psychological evaluation or whatever. So they, they I, I'm not, we can't criticize the cops for letting her go. No, not at all. They did their job to their ability. Now, after the cops speak with her, and I think... It was around 8 p.m. that night. No one sees Emma again. Now, her mother would land at around 10.30-ish and make it to the Sandy Merriman house about 11. And 
Then about midnight, she would contact the police and classify Emma as a missing person. Now, we're going to get into a bit of her free-spirited background. She was very quiet, um, soft-spoken. She was a very good-looking young lady. She could change her appearance just by changing her hairstyle. And if you Google her or look up any of these websites or, or things that we have discussed, you'll notice her appearance changes to where... You almost find yourself saying, well, is that really the same person? I mean, in one picture she has blonde highlights and her complexion is a little darker. And then another, she's got darker brown hair and she's just a free spirit, basically. You know, by definition, she was very creative. She was into poetry. She did photography. Um, She was very private. She was very independent. And her father states that she was very trusting to a fault. And she was taken advantage of in in her younger years by trusting people and not seeing their ulterior motives. She loved to write. She maintained several journals and a blog. She preferred the nature and walking barefoot over living in the city. She was very, very close to her family. And she had an aversion to the conventional way of thinking. She didn't ask intrusive questions. She didn't have social media. She didn't have a cell phone. She spent very little money and kind of only dated, I think, one person while she was in Victoria. And it was just a brief relationship. And supposedly it ended on a positive note. But her friends would state in the summer of 2012... Emma felt like she was in search of more of a pure lifestyle. And she quit drinking in June, cut out cigarettes, coffee, and sugar. She did cut out a lot of meat. She became a vegan. She was experimenting with uh, different food combinations of fish and grains and, and things like that. She was eating less, drinking less, but drinking more and more water She worked on the waterfront at the restaurant and really enjoyed her life. Now, we touched on her van, but... You touched touched her van? Touched the van. Did you get permission? I did. It's 2020. You must have consent. In June or July of 2012, (laughs) Emma purchased the Mazda van with the intention of living in it and traveling around Victoria. I really seriously wish... I could do something like that. If, if I was not married yeah. to my lovely, beautiful wife and I actually had money where I didn't have to like work and pay bills and stuff, I would love to get like a small RV and just go. Yeah, me too. That would be amazing. When we went, dude, we did, when we went through on our little anniversary vacation to Utah, Wyoming, uh, Utah, Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, just some amazing stuff. It was awesome beautiful and i would love to just like rv it out there and just kick back and you know start making meth walter white style i mean what (laughs) where'd that come from (laughs) back to the van she had um kept all of her personal effects in a locker and she had began to move those effects to the van 
and she was extremely happy to have her independence and the independence that that vehicle would provide for her. However, in time, her hopeful purchase of a vehicle became a hindrance and a burden, and it had to be towed three times, and she was seen asking around where she worked if anyone knew of a mechanic. They will break down on you. That, that's for sure. Right about the time you think you got some financial stability, that car. Or a house. If you own a house. Oh, man. God almighty. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> don't, don't get us started. Oh, my God. <laughs> so let's get into Emma's journals. And this is something that is highly debated and her friends state that when she would email them, she always emailed in type of a poem format. Her secretive and quiet nature kind of allowed her to express her feelings and thoughts in these poems and journals. But it wasn't something that was a red flag. Well, they're journals. Like, I mean... It's personal stuff. She wants to speak in code. She can. She can do whatever she wants. It's her creative outlet. Why are you trying to hinder this? Why are you being so critical? Now, before moving or stating that she was moving back to <laughs> Ontario, she began selling and donating. I, I, just, I just love the fact you don't even like, I'm not acknowledging You don't even acknowledge me anymore. And throwing away her like, personal belongings. I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I mean, I'm not blaming you. I wouldn't pay attention to me either. But Now, according to this article, it states that the shelter staff suspected that she may be having some mental illness episodes, and due to privacy laws, they would not contact her parents, but they did request a mental health check by police. They explained the situation over the phone to the police, and rather than visit the shelter to assess Emma, the police told staff to call back if they noticed any more odd behavior. And the staff did not call back. And this is about the time she took out her membership at the YMCA and she started visiting the library as often as she could. Now, Emma would make a series of telephone calls to her mother starting on the night of November 23rd. And her mother, Shelley, assured her each time they spoke that she would make the arrangements for her to come home and Emma consistently called back the next day insisting she would stay in Victoria to work things out on her own and this was a cycle that her mind would change three or four times over the next five or six days during one of these phone calls Emma tells her mother that she did not know how she could face her and I think that has more to deal with she feels like she had made it for so long on her own and now she's having to call home and she's She's having to move back home and she feels like a failure. I don't think that is something that she was into something nefarious or. Oh, let's see. I don't know, man. That's just, I mean, what, what you're saying could be completely correct and it could just be, it is what it is. Like, I'm just ashamed of the fact that I can't make it. I think she was very prideful, but. I don't know, man. Just that I don't know how I can face you. Just conspiracy-minded people and 
mystery-minded people are going to read more into that, and I happen to be one of them. I think there's more to it than that. But what it, what it, what? We don't know. No, we don't, unfortunately. But here's the thing. Is I didn't even think about, like, when I read it during my research, I didn't even think about your your point of view of it at all. It didn't even cross my mind that it could have been just a pride thing. I was thinking, oh, she doesn't. Like she done no money to the mob. She done like she done committed. You know, she was the serial killer on the highway of tears. I was thinking all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, all right, so she would make her final call to her mother on the morning of November twenty eighth, stating, "Don't come, mom, not today." And Shelley would notice a change in her voice, which kind of set off that mother's intuition. And against the advice of other family members who wanted Shelly to respect Emma's need for independence, Shelly put everything on hold and took a flight later that day to go get her daughter. It's going to be one of those things where they're just going to be barely missing each other. Like yeah, I mean, her mom lands at her mom's at the shelter at eleven. She's last seen by police at eight. Yeah, I mean, just missing her. Now we kind of it's. This timeline and the, the way this kind of flows is is a little out of sorts, but we've kind of, we want to go over the timeline again just to give you a, a blueprint of what's going on. So Tuesday, November the 20th, this is when she visits the YMCA and she enters and exits the, the building like anywhere from four to six times during a 15-minute period. She appeared very nervous, looking out the glass doors, waiting for someone. You can see her exiting, someone holding the door for and then she would turn around and come back in then she would there's a double set of doors leading like a little i guess foyer and she would go in between those i'm sorry (laughs) my bad (laughs) but she would pause outside around anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute and then she would enter back in and then finally she would exit the ymca and turn right some people believe she's holding something in her hand such as a cell phone or an ipod and I kind of think more iPod because she's seen buying that that prepaid cell phone. And we know from family members that she did not own a cell phone. Other people just think she's very fidgety. <laughs> so, and you can't tell what it is. It no, be, it's grainy as hell. Could be anything. Could be a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. Could be a candy bar. Could payday? Be, I swear, don't bring, if you bring up paydays in this 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 house again, you're no longer welcome. I still Best. they are. I, so Wednesday, we, we don't have time for this <laughs> argument, and you know that. Oh my god! So on Wednesday, November twenty first, <laughs> her van is towed, and uh, she had arranged for a tow truck driver to pick her up at the women's shelter, and drive to Sook to tow her Mazda van back to the seven hundred block of Burdett Avenue in Victoria. The tow truck driver said that she was upbeat, uh, talking about her plans to surprise her family by moving back to Perth. And the driver recalls that she uh, she was looking at the snow on the mountains, telling him she couldn't wait to get home where she could see the sun and snow. And then Friday, November 23rd, that's the first time she calls her mom. Mom states that Emma calls in tears around midnight saying she wants to come home. And for Emma to reach out for help is extremely unusual. And Shelley assured her all arrangements would be made for her to fly home immediately. And she states, are you booking the flight? And mom says, 
no, I don't want to be, I don't want to intrude. But she, Emma would not say that it was bothering her, but tells her mother that she is safe where she's at. So Saturday, November 24th, Emma changes her mind. She calls her mother back, tells her not to come, and that she will stay and figure things out on her own. And this is where her mom is kind of worried and cancels her first flight to go out to see her. But then later that same night, Emma calls again saying she wants to come home. And so that's when Shelly decides, all right, I'm going. So Sunday, November the 25th, another change of plans. Emma calls her mother again in the morning telling her that she had changed her mind again. Shelly would state that Emma sounded calm, more confident during this phone call, but still had a a sense of sadness in her voice. And moms are going to know, bro. Oh, yeah. If her mom's saying that, then you're going to, you got to trust it. So her van is towed again on Sunday, November the 25th because of parking enforcement. Emma had no choice but to arrange for her van to be towed again from Burdett Avenue to a parking lot at the Chateau Victoria Hotel. On Tuesday, November 27th. Any hotel with the word chateau in it? Gotta be nice. Gotta be. I mean. Turn down service. Absolutely. Mints on the pillow. Ooh. What kind of mints are we talking about? Andy's. They're the best. They're the best. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong All with right. a good Andy's. We're, we're friends again. Okay. Kind of overlooked <laughs> the peanut and caramel. Never mind. <laughs> uh, so on November 27th, Shelly grows increasingly concerned. Oh. I was like, what? I thought she going to be like, Shelly grows three full feet. Like, holy hell. And decides that she's going to call the number that is on her caller ID display thinking that Sandy Merriman, like we had stated earlier, was a friend of Emma's and is shocked to learn that Emma was calling from a women's shelter and had been since the winter of 2011. Now, on Tuesday the 27th, there is a notice on the van from the Chateau Victoria stating that they were going to have it towed. You've already, I mean, I feel like you're repeating yourself. I am a little, but I'm trying to get the timeline down. Oh, okay. So you went back. So you're trying to Martin Scorsese this, yeah, Martin Scorsese l- this shit? a little bit. You're going to tell him the whole story. And then Go back the and points. tell him the whole story again. Yeah. Works for me. I mean, I don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the day of Emma's disappearance. At 4.30 is when she makes the phone call to her mom stating, don't come, not today. At 7.00. A.M. She goes to the Chateau Victoria, extremely upset about the notice on her van, and asks the staff to please wait another day, and she will have the van moved. And they agree. Eight twenty-three A.M. is when she's captured on the Seven Eleven video surveillance, buying the two hundred dollar prepaid credit card and the prepaid cell phone. At ten A.M. A friend of hers, Julian, states that he was riding a bus on Pandora Street, and upon disembarking the bus, he sees Emma, who is standing on the edge of the sidewalk, very close to the side of the road, and she is wearing a light-colored coat, a hoodie pulled up over her head, her hair is in disarray, and she is carrying a plastic bag in each hand, 
and more plastic bags over her shoulder and across her chest. He observes her from the back and profile but cannot see her face, so he decides to go register for a health card that he had planned to get earlier that day. When he returns, he says that Emma is still there, standing motionless on the corner of the street. He steps onto the street in front of her and peers into her hoodie and asks if she needed help. Emma slowly shakes her head as if to say no, and then he decides that since she's not accepting help, he will leave. Around noon that day, some people think that Emma visited the library, and in well, this, no, this is it. This, this is the same guy that's going to call the, the police. No, uh, that is another. That is another guy. This is the guy. If you read about this story, this is the guy that met her in Ontario, and then just happened to move oh, to Victoria. The, the creepy. Yeah. One. Oh yeah, this is a different guy. This isn't. This is a creepy motherfucker. Yes. No offense to you, sir, but. And he has been cleared by a polygraph. He has indeed. He did cooperate. And he, he states on the Fifth Element episode that it was pure coincidence that he decided to move to the same town where she was at. And I say, <gasps> bullshit. But anyway. Give them, give them the benefit of the doubt. So he anyway. has been cleared. He has been? Yeah. So in the early afternoon, a friend sees Emma sometime in around Our Place Soup Kitchen on Pandora Street. Her hair is tucked into her jacket, and she states that she's not feeling well at all and can't talk. The friend asks if she needs a hug, but she retreats, and a, what he states is an uncharacteristic, horrified look on her face. Around 1 p.m., another witness sees Emma looking very vacant-eyed, slowly shuffling along Pandora Street. She isn't wearing a hat, and her hair looks as though it has been freshly washed. She is seen carrying several white plastic bags, an orange satchel, and is wearing camouflage pants and a white fleece jacket. The witness later reports this sighting to police who contact him and take a full report. Later in that afternoon, two people report seeing Emma on Douglas Street sometime Late afternoon, they would say, and they were concerned by her behavior because she was walking back and forth in the street looking confused and lost. They immediately called police who took the report. However, it is unclear if they followed up. This was the first 911 call made that day about her behavior. Okay. Now, the witnesses state that she was wearing her shoes at that time. Now, remember, when they speak to her in front of the restaurant... Yeah, when her when the, the when the acquaintance calls, she is barefoot and holding her shoes. Barefoot in November in Canada. Nah, Mm-mm. let me look. go ahead. I'm just going to look up the temperature right now. Now, between four and six p.m., she is sighted by someone at two different locations. The first time she crosses his path as he is exiting the main Douglas Street doors at the Bay Center. She is shuffling, moving slowly northward on the west side of Douglas Street. Her hair is flowing on the outside of her hood, and then he would state about 45 minutes later, while he was in a car, stopped at the corner of Douglas and Finlayson Street. To To his surprise, he sees her crossing the street in front of him. She glances, waves, and 
gives a sad smile, according to him. Okay, at this moment in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, it is 45 degrees Fahrenheit or 7 degrees Celsius, which I'm guessing for a Canadian is not that cold. No. But still, pretty cold to be standing on concrete without your shoes on. Yes. So that is definitely odd. Now, we had talked about around 6 is when she was seen at the Sandy Merriman Shelter. Around 6.10 is when the taxi driver picks her up. Around 6.15 is when her acquaintance, Dennis Quay, sees her and makes the 911 call. Around 7.17 p.m. is when the police come and talk to her for roughly 45 minutes. And that is the last time anyone had laid eyes on her. 11 p.m. that day is when Shelly arrives at the shelter. And 12 is when she is reported missing, Hmm. officially. All right, so after Emma's disappearance, on November 29th, 2012, the Chateau Victoria arranges for her van to be towed from their lot. Police find it there three hours later, containing almost all of Emma's possessions, including her passport, laptop, journals, camera, and recently borrowed library books. They, Those aren't hers then. <laughs> they then have it towed to the They're police borrowed. Uh, the same day, Shelley visits the shelter and state that the staff had told her that Emma wanted to throw away or donate most of her personal belongings. And then later that day, a witness reports seeing Emma at Lifestyle Market on Douglas Street in Victoria. Now, that sighting has been unconfirmed. On December the 2nd, a witness reports an odd encounter and unconfirmed sighting by the Inner Harbor after dark. Supposedly, Emma tells them to remember the name Emma Filipoff and asks them to repeat the name three times. On December the 5th, around 11.17 a.m., the $200 prepaid credit card Emma purchased on the 28th of November is flagged for use at a Petro-Canada station on Sook Road. The man who uses the card is cleared after being questioned and polygraphed by police. The man would state that he found the card on the side of the road near the Juan de Fueca Recreation Center and Galloping Goose Trail in Colwood. However, he later calls Shelley on three occasions to explain he was drinking on a daily basis at the time and was too drunk that night to remember where he found it. He knows it was still sealed and is certain he waited about a week to use it to buy a carton of cigarettes. He still claims he can only guess based on his usual routes traveled during that time where he may have found the card. In May of 2014, in Gastown, British Columbia, an agitated man was captured on surveillance at a clothing store in downtown Vancouver, with a crumpled up missing persons poster of Emma. This is the famous green shirt guy. This is, this is where so many, um, so many things that you research get, or get, they get it different. A lot of the things I saw said he took it off the wall. And then a lot of the things, a lot of other things that I saw said he brought it in with him crumpled up, but that, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to believe that he took it off the wall. Yeah, I am too. And remember now, mom is in 
the area putting up these missing flyers and offering a $25,000 reward for any information. This man, green shit, green shit. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well. Might as well. Green shirt man claims that Emma is his girlfriend and she wants to be left alone. And despite the evidence of the security camera, so, this man so is... Not, not, well, that's not all he said. You got to get it right. He said, she is not missing. She ran, She's my girlfriend. She ran away because she hates her parents. Yes. This man was wearing a green shirt, therefore the name Green Shirt Guy. And he walked with a noticeable limp. We are very creative with our with everybody's everybody's very creative with their nicknames. And he is sporting flame tattoos on his arm. And to this date, no one has come forward with information about him or his identity. Which is extremely strange considering the the tattoos. Yeah. I mean no one in the entire country of Canada knows who this person is. And I mean, I know the footage is grainy, and we will post it if we remember. <laughs> but, Hopefully, we will. It's only two days. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no one's come forward with anything from this guy, and most people are saying that he was just a cruel prank. It was just him being a dick, and just oh, she's just she didn't she didn't disappear. But but, but what if he's telling the truth? If he's being truthful. This is really strange. Yes. Now, reports would come in, and these were all unconfirmed sightings, from Fernwood Square, Goldstream Park, the Inner Harbor. There was rumors circulating among her friends that she was hitchhiking up and down the island and was doing well. Two people would claim that she was panhandling on Commercial Drive in Vancouver. Several witnesses reported her missing person posters had been torn down in the downtown downtown east side. A source at one of the establishments in the area believes he saw her ripping her own posters off the wall. Saw her doing it? Yes. Wow. And then staff at a hunting and fishing store reported a woman resembling Emma and... She would ask them how to disappear, explaining she had a stalker who followed her from Ontario to Victoria, then Vancouver. One individual stated that Emma was a junkie living in the downtown east side. He would boast standing next to her as she tore down her own posters, but would not provide any more details and expressed no interest in the reward. Two separate tips originated in Nelson, British Columbia, early in 2014. A hitchhiker matching Emma's description was seen on Highway 3 near the Philippoth family farm. The second sighting was up Slocan Valley, about 30 minutes away, where another Philippoth family member had a home. These sightings still remain unconfirmed. Now, in early 2016, a friend reported seeing Emma sleeping on the steps of the Francophone Center in Kilwana, British Columbia. A volunteer team worked diligently with local police to follow up on the sighting, and it too remains unconfirmed. Now, in 2018, a new witness came forward stating at around 5 a.m. on November the 29th, 2012, a man was on his way to work at a new job running late when he saw a young woman darting back and forth on the side of the road. 
She seemed to be in distress, so he pulled over, and she got into his vehicle around 1264 Esquimalt Road in Victoria, British Columbia. He noticed she was shoeless and soaking wet and seemed as though she had been walking all night. Her demeanor suddenly shifted to calm and content once she stepped inside his car and asked if he could take her to Colwood to visit a girlfriend. Since he didn't want to be even more late in his first week of training, he told her he could only bring her close to Colwood. They had been driving for around five minutes when he stopped to drop her off at the intersection of Craig Flower and Admiral's Roads, next to a Legion and a 24-hour gas station. The moment she exited the car, her behavior suddenly shifted back to paranoid and erratic, and she darted back and forth in the street before finally taking off in the direction of Colwood. According to him, he did not realize who he had picked up that morning until long after the incident took place and came forward almost six years later in June of 2018. He would contact the Crime Stoppers and the Victoria Police Department. When he states that there was no follow-up to his tip, he got in, t- in, tr- in touch with Emma's mother and a longtime advocate for the family named Kimberly Bordage, who interviewed him at length and released her own podcast called The Search for Emma Philippoth in November of 2018. Now, Miss Bordage would travel to Victoria in late November, early December of 2018, and she would state that, quote, we started the canine search by working with the last known point in View Royal where William let her out of the garage, or garage, out of the vehicle at Craig Flower and Admirals. We searched the immediate vicinity by Craig Flower Bridge. We then moved out to wooded areas nearby with low traffic and sections of the Galloping Goose Trail in Colwood. We searched the sunny side of the Thetis Lake Woods, a place we knew Emma liked to visit. And the last spot they searched was between where Emma got out of the car and Colwood. They would also search very remote areas along that path that were not very well traveled and did not yield any results. So now let's get into her journals. Finally, God. This is something that is highly debated with a lot of people. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And the reason it's debated is because she always, like we stated, wrote these poems. And some of them were very dark. Some of them kind of dealt with her sadness from the parents' divorce and then other sadnesses that she would feel being alone and out on her own. And then we get to the main poem that some state is a suicide note. But again, you I mean, maybe, maybe not. You can't prove it. It does sound odd. I'll give them that. But suicide note, I don't know. To everyone from Dead Emma, hello. I figure someone will be on this computer at some point and will read this. Okay, so I'm dead. Floating about on energy or not. Watching dying stars, reviving stars, and dreaming milky dreams and shadow dancing on your timelines or whatever. Good luck, every heart. I love you, M. Now, 
just taken at face value, that is very dark, and that would lead some to believe that she was suicidal. In the Fifth Element episode, however, they have a team of psychologists, former detectives, search and rescue guys, and they all agree that they would not think that that's a suicide note because it is not very specific. Yeah, it doesn't give a reason. Right. It doesn't say, I'm that, sorry, Mom and Dad, yeah. it, you know, please it, forgive me. Yeah, in my limited knowledge of suicide notes, most people give a reason. They tell whom they love and why and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, that doesn't seem to me like... You know, it's iffy. I, I mean, don't. It's yeah. It's iffy. It's it's really iffy. It really is. But and the reason I lead lean towards not thinking it's a suicide note because during that Fifth Element episode, they go through a lot of her poems, and she was very eclectic. She she would talk about you know deep dark things. I mean, she would talk about stuff that was very uplifting. And they so were weird poems. Yeah, I mean. I mean they're poetry that's art to some it's what she considered art and no one can interpret it i mean everyone can interpret it a different way than it may or may not be meant to be interpreted like i mean the most expensive paintings on this planet are jackson pollock's and i'm sorry to mr pollock but that is bullshit <laughs> Those are horrible. I'm not a Jackson Pollock fan, but I did have a friend, and I told him, I said, look, man, I said, what he did, I said, you give me the same equipment, the same amount of time, and I'll do five, and then we'll compare my five to his five in random order, and you tell me which one's which. Do you think you could do that? And he said, well, probably not. I said, see, anybody could do that. And he said, well, you didn't. <laughs> Great way to end that argument. I mean, honestly, he was the first person to do what he did. And, I mean, good Lord, but when you look at Picasso, no, I'm, we're, no, don't, don't, no, we're, we're talking about this now. Okay, buddy. <laughs> when you look at Picasso, you look at Rembrandt, you look at Da Vinci, you look at Michelangelo, and you're going to sit here and tell me Jackson Pollock, I mean, come on. I agree with you. I'm sorry if you enjoy Jackson Pollock, and I'm not saying the man wasn't talented, but God Almighty. <laughs> anyway, what, are we talking? We're some, talking about some sort of case or something? Yeah, we were. Okay, we'll get back to it. <laughs> All right. In before we get to theories, and then in our theories, the last thing that we need to touch on is the fact that in March of 2016, Emma's mother and brother were charged with money laundering as well as drug and weapons offenses. Well, she's going to be charged first. But they're because they be, found it in her home. Yeah, they found it in her home. All of that's going to be dropped from her because it was an investigation into her brother. Right, because I unbeknownst mean, to the mother... Emma's brother. Yeah. The mother's son. Unbeknownst to the mother, the brother had been dabbling in money laundering drug trafficking, and illegal weapons. And the police would come out in November of 2016 stating that all charges had been dropped against Shelley Filipoff, clearing her of any involvement, and that that case has nothing to do with Emma's disappearance. We had to put that out there. 
But so, we don't know. Could be. How do you know? We never know. I mean, you just sit there and you say you did. I don't think it has anything to do with it. There you go. You say, I don't think. You said it didn't. Well, the police how, stated it didn't. How dare Jack you? Jack leg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we get into theories. And some Good of the theories. Luck. Yeah. The, some of the <laughs> theories are this was a late onset of schizophrenia, which her age is on the end of the 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 age range for onset schizophrenia, but a lot of her behavior fits the mold. A lot of her behavior fits bipolar disorder. And then another theory is that she basically said to hell with it, and she started a new life. And then a third theory is that she was being followed and that she somehow has been captured and is living homeless after escaping her captors in Vancouver. And if you do any research into the homeless population of Vancouver, there's some shady shit going down there. What are you t- I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we ain't got time. No, no, no. Just give me a hint here. It is supposedly sell one the, of... You sell, the, one, you sell the sizzle, not the steak, my friend. Come on, give One us of the worst human trafficking centers outside of the U.S. Really? Yes. Wow. It is... It's got to be hard to be homeless in Canada, man. It's yeah. It's so cold. And the thing is, they said in that Fifth Element episode that... This is not a Fifth Element commercial, bro. She could be homeless and basically hiding in plain sight because no one looks at... When you're walking down the street, you're not going to look a lot of homeless people in the eyes if you are not there to yeah. try to help them. Yeah, but she's a she was an attractive woman. And even if she is disheveled, she still could still possibly look decent. And if she wanted help, she could get it. I guarantee it. So let's touch on the mental illness. And this would just be our theories on each one of these theories. Like I stated, this one has some legs. I mean, she fits the time frame for schizophrenia Onset, I know it's late, and she's pushing that upper age boundary. But supposedly, you know, depending on what you read, she has a family history of mental illness. You know, there's the the, the bipolar track would be she's up bubbly, and then she's she looks disheveled and paranoid, and and if she's not diagnosed and she's not on medicine, those manic and and depressive episodes are just, it's a, a constant roller coaster she's on. What I would say on the other side of that is, and I know she hid her feelings from her friends and stuff, but you get to know a lot of people you work with, and there's not been anyone come out at the seafood restaurant that said that she was very emotional or emotional roller coaster, you know, depressed yeah, one day. And there's nothing to indicate that right. she was having this so called mental break. Which again, God, it just—it seems like that's a recurring theme when we're talking about all these missing people. They just had a middle break. It was a middle break, but this one, I'm leaning towards that 
for the first time that this may actually have been just a she just snapped. Yeah, and I would say that I'm not going bipolar. I would go more she she had that schizophrenia set in, and we are witnessing through the surveillance videos her having an episode of feeling like she's being followed, of being paranoid. I think that one has some legs. The other one that was on Reddit was she was she being followed, and that would her actions do give you every indication that she at least believed she was being followed, at the very least. So maybe she was. Maybe it was the guy that was stalking her. He was cleared completely. And I'm I'm guessing they did their the police did their due due diligence with him, and he has given multiple interviews on camera. And I promise you one thing: if I was guilty, and I did happen to get cleared by the police, you'd never hear from me again. That's just me. So the fact that he's willing to talk on camera and be like, "Look, I understand that this is, looks very bad." But it wasn't me. And the guy doing the interview, the one I watched, he was very good. He just put him on the spot. He was like, yeah, are you going to try to tell me that this is just a coincidence? And the guy didn't look down. He did, he continued to look that man in the eye, and he said, yes. He said, Unfortunately, this is a coincidence. Yes. But, I mean. It does raise a red flag. And And then we get on to the stalker thing, the green shirt guy. You know, after he states, she's my girlfriend, she ran away. She, because she hates her mother and her father, he then says right before he walks out, she's with me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that a, a captor situation? I mean, it does well, he, he did, and I hate he did to say, say this, he does he have say, her locked somewhere? He did say it was, that she was his girlfriend. But the question, remain, the question remains is what spawned that interaction in the first place? Like, that is a single time event that is that he did not there well there at least has not been any report of him doing that anywhere else there's not a report of any sightings of him tearing down signs there's no reports of anything it's just so one guy one time decided to walk into a store tear down a missing poster a missing person a missing god dang it Missing persons poster and be like, man, she, this is, this is my girlfriend. She lives with me. I don't understand why everybody's, what, what's the big deal? Why that one time? Even if it is true, even if it is his girlfriend and he knows that she's missing from her family and she, he knows that she hates her family and ran away on purpose. Why does he do that? Yeah. Just to, to out of the blue, some random store. Yeah. Yeah. Now, someone on Reddit had pointed out that they believed that she had suffered from mercury poisoning, which would heighten her mental problems. I mean, come on. Yeah, she worked at a seafood shop, but guess what? Well, there are thousands of people. When's the last time you heard of somebody getting mercury poisoned at a fucking Red Lobster? You know what I mean? Well, it's all frozen, and they heat it up in the microwave, so. Listen. You both know we grew up in towns where the fucking Red Lobster was fancy as fuck. <laughs> and I still feel bad if I go to a Red Lobster to this day 
and I feel like I'm not dressed how I, you know, how my parents would dress us when we yeah, were kids. Yeah. And I walk in and I'm like, yeah. well, hell, I'm the best dressed son of a bitch in there. There's a guy with cut off <laughs> yeah. sleeves. Like, <laughs> that I mean, that's so true. People that are not from the South, if you grew up in a metropolitan area, you have no idea how fancy it was. My my town didn't have the Red Lobster. You had to go to the next town over. So that was And a by God, if you went to the Red Lobster, it was a birthday <laughs> or it was a graduation and you dressed nice. And then all of a sudden I went to college. I got educated. I moved. I saw the country and then I'm like, that's like that's like an Applebee's. <laughs> why are people why do people treat that restaurant like this? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Going into the mental break, they stated that it could be a combination of her having a mental break and then this green shirt guy seeing that and basically taking her in and kind of this is my precious. I know she's She's dependent now upon me, and I'm going to keep her. And da 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 da. Again, so we could sit about here. A golem situation. We could sit here forever <laughs> and go over this, but the fact remains is this woman has been missing for eight years and one day. Something. If she's still around, alive, and free. You would think something at some point would have come up by now. Oh, I agree. I just... But there's nothing to lead you to believe that she... I just... I mean... I don't know. I feel bad for... This is why I, I hate our own podcast. Because I, <laughs> I... I want answers so much. Yeah, I saw a meme. I thought about you. Watches unsolved mysteries and then gets pissed off because the mystery's still unsolved. Yeah, like the Pikachu, like <laughs> yeah. the like with its mouth yeah. open, like watches unsolved mysteries doesn't solve. <gasps> like, I do what? believe that her mom has a great heart, and I feel horrible for her mother. She is out there beating the pavement and has been trying to get her daughter's picture out there, trying to keep her story in the in the press. It's just a sad situation, but I'm like you. I'm going to lean towards, for the first time, that this really, truly could be a, a true mental break of some sort. Now, whether she had a mental break and that led to a her demise, and they, in one of the interviews, they called it something. It was not suicide, but it was kind of like you, you wouldn't fight off a bad situation and you perished. And I... I can't remember how they what they phrased it as, but if she was in an altered mental state and she found herself and it was extremely cold, would she just give up? But then again, there's been no body. It, or she could have be a Jane Doe in another town. Well, I've always heard like people in the woods that get lost in the woods and die, they mostly die of shame, you know, because they can't believe what happened to them. They can't, and they just give up. And they just accept the fate. They just accept their fate and they give up. They don't fight. But this is a, she's in a major city. And she has someone in that last town they saw her in. I mean, her mom's doing a hell of a job. Yeah. I mean, she really is. Yeah. 
So, I, you know, my heart goes out to her mom. My heart goes out to her dad. He seemed like a great guy, too. He, I think he was more eclectic, and I think that's where Emma got her mm-hmm. her love for the arts from. But, again, no, uh, no answers on this one, ladies and gentlemen. So, recommendations? <laughs> big, uh, big surprise there. I know. Well, we haven't, we haven't mentioned it, but we got to talk about the big break in the Rebecca Gould case. Yes, and, and people have reached out to us about that, and I'm wanting to not, I, I, I don't want to go and give another episode right now. Yeah. But we, we do need to. It is planned. Yeah, because I want this to take some legs and us get some answers before we dive in, because if we did another episode on it, it would be a mini, and we would have more questions than we have answers. The last thing I read was that he was fighting extradition. Yeah. And that they were having to have the governor of Arkansas write basically a governor subpoena yeah. to bring him to but Arkansas. There has been an arrest in the Rebecca Gould case. If you haven't heard our version, our episode, go back and listen. If you would like to listen to the entire first season of Helen Gone, it is dedicated to her. There's two Facebook pages. Miss Jennifer Bucholz has a podcast. I think it has five episodes that she did on it after ours was released. Yeah. She does a great job. She keeps up that Facebook page, and she's constantly posting her questions and getting the forum to answer and, and think. And we, we received a lot of feedback thanking us for covering the episode and uh, and like congrat, like giving us credit for actually making a difference, which is insane. We personally don't think that we've made a difference, but if, if other people do, we're beyond thankful for that. We are very humble in those accolades being shown to us because we still feel like we just cover it and it's out there. But what's going to be great is once everything's said and done, we're going to be able to do an episode that says this fucker was solved. That it was a solved one, and we're gonna we don't cover solved cases, but by God, we're we going will on that one. We're going to cover that one, and we'll make it a doozy. All right, but my recommendation for today, because I watched it last night, because. HBO is having a free preview weekend for Thanksgiving. If you say what I'm, I was going to recommend, this would be hilarious. Go ahead. The Mystery of D.B. Cooper. No. Okay, I thought, holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> they did. There's a documentary on HBO. It's going. It's on HBO Max. If you have it, if you if you don't have it on uh, HBO Max, good luck. No, get it on uh, Hulu. It's also on Hulu. It is. It was amazing. It's about an hour and a half documentary, and they they cover the case in parts as they proceed. But they also they show the four main suspects. Did they go back? Is that the one where the old agent goes and visits that old man that kind of drops some hints in his conversations to her? There's some. They interview. I mean, they interview. They interview the pilot. They interview the the, the stewardess. They interview. They inter- interview oh, everyone. No, it's, not, it's not the one I was. And there are. Three suspects, four total suspects. One never claims to be him, but was arrested for doing something very similar a few months later. And then the other three confess to being D.B. Cooper and have evidence to prove it. Huh. But only one of only Can't be all three of them. Can't be all four of them. But it was really good. I watched it last night and couldn't stop watching it. It was way past my bedtime. I saw it was coming on, and I said, I'm sold. So that's my recommendation for this week. Well, 
as you could tell, my recommendation also involves HBO. <laughs> And it is the miniseries documentary of the Nexium case. It's called The Vow. And it is... The next, like that, is that sex cult thing? Yes. Oh, man, that's wild. It is amazing. They And what's so good about it is it starts off with... And, and, the, and the people that did this, this is the first time I've seen a cult portrayed this way. They show all of the things, the good things that they... They, the hook, basically. Mm-hmm. And you can see if you were in a situation where you were looking for a greater understanding of yourself or you were looking to to help humanity, that mm-hmm. this on the surface does not appear to be a cult. Mm-hmm. Now, once you dive into it, there's a lot of red flags and they follow four to five main people throughout their journey. And they wouldn't have had any of this except one of them was a documentary filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And so he had documented everything from his time mm-hmm. with Ranieri. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was amazing, the last episode was there, him and his wife. His wife got out first, then he got out. And then there's a young lady that they knew that was still in. And so they're working with her mother to try to get her out. And while they're trying to get her out is when all of this shit comes to a head and they finally arrest Ranieri. The mother states of this thing when she first met them and goes through this little story. And so she, the the lady becomes very emotional and the man is like, stop it, stop it. People don't fucking join a cult. We didn't join a cult. He said, we were duped. And it's hard for me to stand here and tell you I was in a cult, but that's how everyone that's in a cult feels. We didn't join. We didn't set out to join a cult. We mm. found ourselves in a cult. Yeah. All of a sudden. Yeah. All of a sudden. The, the next thing I knew. The bells and whistles go off <laughs> and you get that gut feeling of, hey, this isn't right. But they, it's very well put together. And the rumor is they're going to have a second season and they're going to interview Ranieri and then his right hand woman. So if you have not watched it, I highly recommend The Bow if that kind of interests you. But this is something, this story with Nexium is going to be something that plays out. We will never know all of it for many years, I feel like. Well, Coach, you got anything else? I got nothing, bro. I guess it's about that time, ladies and gentlemen. Deuces.